Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. Big chefs, big ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. Food security affects our strength as a nation. If we can take a kid and if we can turn them into society and make them realize that they can influence the the community around them, they have um, a value. Well, that's something we put a lot of time and energy into. We're in Boston today with two really interesting and I think provocative thinkers, activists, leaders um, in different fields, but I think having a very similar impact. Uh, Garrett Harker, restaurateur from Boston and now also New Hampshire and Vermont. Uh, Garrett, I just came from the Branch Line, your restaurant in Watertown, where I had a fabulous lunch with my wife, but we're uh, frequent patrons of Eastern Standard, and I know you've got uh, Row 34 and a number of other restaurants now. It's a pleasure to have you here. Great to be here. And you've been in the restaurant business your entire life. Pretty much right out of college. I want to come back and ask you about this. Um, And Dan Pallotta, who I've known for a long time, who is an author of a very important book called Uncharitable, uh, is the creator and inventor of the AIDS rides and the breast cancer uh, research funding rides. You call these, Dan, uh, multi-day charitable activities. I think you've got a phrase that I saw on your website. Yeah, other people started calling them that. I never had a name for them, but multi-day charitable events. Uh, But you're the inventor of it, and you've been a really, really um, provocative is the best word that I can can think of, uh, activist and thinker on the issue of how nonprofits should be liberated from a lot of um, kind of um, dogma and theology around what they spend as opposed to the impact that they're having. Yep. And you're based here in Boston as well. Yeah, up in Topsfield. Well, thanks. Thanks both of you for being here. Um, when I said you were both different thinkers, I think of it as being a little bit iconoclastic in terms of the industries you're in. And Garrett, just to start with you, um, you think of restaurants as not only places to feed people, and you do it extremely well, everybody raves about your restaurants, but also places that can have an impact on the community and on the neighborhood, almost in a community development and community revitalization sense. And uh, I know there's a few people in your industry that think that way, but I'd say that's pretty rare. Uh, I'd like to hear about where that came from, when it developed. You said you got into the restaurant business right after college. Was that your intent from the beginning, or is it something that came along the way? No, it was really a slow seduction. Uh, I ended up in San Francisco uh, right outside of college and really intended to go to law school, but I started you know, driving up to wine country, meeting wine growers, seeing where food was coming from, and hanging out with all these you know, amazing restaurant people. The, the restaurant scene in San Francisco is obviously so uh, vital part of the community there. And that's really where I fell in love with the business. And what brought you back to Boston or to uh, Boston? My, my wife yes. uh, and our second child in uh, meteoric real estate prices in San Francisco. And here, all your bios say that you were at um, you were at Nine Park with Barbara Lynch. I assume that was an important, informative experience for you. Absolutely. I mean, that's really where it all imprinted on me. Barbara hired me as the original general manager of Number Nine Park, and you might know it's you know really on sort of the wrong side of Beacon Hill. It was an area that had sort of just become disconnected with the rest of the city. It was 
Um, you know, the only, I remember sitting in my car before we opened and the only people you saw walking around were headed to Park Street T Station. Uh, and now that area has 9-0 Hotel, 15 Beacon Hotel. It's become a really vibrant part of the city again. And that's where I learned kind of the, the uh, transformative impact a restaurant can have. And what set you off in your own direction? I mean, what was the, what was the spark for you saying, I'm going to have my own kind of rest? It's really, frankly, a restaurant empire now. Well, it didn't, that wasn't the intention. I actually, once Barbara and I were up to three restaurants, I really, uh, I, I really wanted to kind of pull back and go back to a single restaurant. So I had the opportunity to look at a, you know, really large space uh, in Kenmore Square, which <clears throat> if you're from Boston, you might you might know how um, Kenmore Square had sort of deteriorated over time. Um, again, it become sort of a forgotten part of the city. Um, and, you know, not being from Boston, that didn't really imprint on me. I looked at a map. I saw how uh, I saw the institutional forces of the Red Sox and BU and Longwood uh, medical community. I saw how close it was to Cambridge and the western suburbs. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of my peers in the industry from Boston would never have taken that chance. Um, but I also had the experience from Nine Park and realized, um, you know, how galvanizing it can be for for a staff, for a team that you put together and, and make part of your, your mission, not just taking care of people, but helping to, you know, elevate a community and a neighborhood. And Eastern Standard's how old now? Uh, it'll be 12 years. 12 years. This month. <clears throat> Best chicken anywhere in the country, probably. That's my favorite dish. What's yours? Branch line's close. Branch line's close. close? Second. Uh, I'm a steak tartare guy. I think ES has the best steak okay. tartare in town. I haven't had it there, but I got to try it. Um, and Dan Pallotta, um, at Share Our Strength, uh, you and and many nonprofit organizations, you're really kind of the guru of how nonprofits need to think differently. You've got an iconic TED Talk that I think has been viewed over four million times. Uh, am I right that it's called the way we think about charity is dead wrong? Right. Uh, well, tell us about that. What's the, tell us what you mean about that and, and how you, how you got to that place. You know, short story. I, th I think, uh, you, you know, you look at people like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, and in the span of five or six or eight or 10 years, they do something that completely disrupts the whole world, right? Or completely disrupts their industry. It happens in a very short period of time. And I think that nonprofit organizations like Share Our Strength and others have that kind of capacity to radically disrupt the world in short periods of time, but not if they're hamstrung by these ideas that they shouldn't spend any money on fundraising and they shouldn't spend any money on advertising and marketing because if they can't spend money telling people about the good that they do you know they're not going to be able to get people involved at the level that they need to grow to reach the scale of these problems so that's uh you know that's that's basically what i'm what i'm advocating the nonprofit sector has enormous potential it has enormous power unleash it and it would be able to fully address some of these massive social problems and was that born from your own experience with the aids rides with the breast cancer yeah rides? i mean the aids rides and the breast cancer three days by by 2002 we were raising 180 million dollars a year uh, by investing heavily in in the recruitment of people to participate in their civil society. I, I think we sort of do things in injustice by calling that expense fundraising, right? Because what we're really trying to do is engage people in the great issues of their time. 
you've had, both of you now have had a lot of people in your respective industries begin to follow your lead. Uh, Garrett, at, at, in your restaurants and everything I've read or heard about them, you do everything right. The food is great. The hospitality is great. The service is terrific. Um, but you've also built in this philosophy that's inspiring others now, both of hospitality, of what people should come to expect when they come to your restaurants, the way they should feel when they're there, and the role you're going to play in the community. Um, say a little bit more about your your philosophy of of trying to have a community impact by being a successful business there and how that's influenced others. Well, we're, we're competitive. At the core, we want to be the best at what we do. Um, and we're also mission-driven. And those two can't be separated. We think that helps us compete better um, to bring our community together, to make an impact on the community. Um, so that's always been an important part of our DNA. Um, if we see an opportunity you know, we, we look at real estate deals across, you know, all of New England. But if we see an opportunity to actually get on the ground floor and help roll up our sleeves and help transform a neighborhood or a community, uh, that's just something that's sort of part of our uh, mission. What are some of the ways in which you see the community around you change over time because of your, your willingness to take a bet on them initially? Well, you see real life impact and, you know, in real estate values and you see more businesses looking at the area when people, you know, restaurants are positive activity when, when, you know, Boston 15 years ago did a lot to kind of clean up Kenmore Square, but until Eastern Standard opened and you could see, you know, people coming and visiting the square and participating in just positive traffic, foot traffic, uh, you know, that just elevates you know, the, the opportunities for all sorts of businesses to come in and, and join forces. Dan, you're also the founder of an organization now called the Charity Defense Council, which I think aligns with what we were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, opinions and mythologies about charitable uh, organizations that a lot of people have wrong. Um, I was asking Garrett before about what kind of pushback he gets uh, in his work. You must get some pushback with some of the ideas that you're putting out in terms of what charities need to do differently what's that look like and how do you how do you deal with it uh you do get pushback but I, but i you know i do a lot of speaking on the issue and i'll i'll go somewhere and i'll give a 50 minute talk on on uh the way we think about charity and how it's wrong and and i have the luxury in those cases of a captive audience for 50 minutes and the only reason i continue to do this work is that 95 percent of those people after 50 minutes say I never thought about this that way. I will never ask that question about overhead again. And before I ask about the CEO's salary the next time, I want to find out if the person's doing really great work. And then I'll and then I'll look into their salary. So I think, you know, this is just like so many issues and areas in lives in our lives. We lead busy lives. We don't have time to think about everything. Um, and when you give the people when you give people the luxury of thought of a new way of thinking about something, if it makes sense to them, they're by and large not obstinate. And 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 if they think, ah, I really, I don't, I don't want my donation to just have low overhead. I don't want my gravestone to read, I kept overhead low. I want it to read, I, I changed the world in some way. And if you're showing me a better way to do that, I'm all for it. 
Yeah. You know, a lot of people say initially, well, you, you can't change the way people think about charity. I mean, that's just, you know, death and taxes and the way people think about charity. But we change the way people think about smoking. We change the way they think about seatbelts. We change the way they think about gay marriage. We even with with pork, the other white meat, we even change the way they think about pork, you know, right? So if we can change the way people think about all of those things, we can absolutely change the way people think about charity. I want to ask both of you how you think about the work you're doing now, kind of in the, I guess, in the political moment in which we find ourselves. And I don't, I don't mean this as kind of a, a political or a partisan commentary, but it feels like the country is potentially headed for, uh, I guess, a continuation of where it's been, which is polarized politics, the inability of the, the national government to get much done, uh, a lot of division, which leads to a lot of people feeling like I've got to do more in my own community, that that's where some of these problems have to get solved. Um, one of the things that I've heard you know, dozens of times since the presidential election in 2016 is I've been sitting on the sidelines too much. I got to get more involved. I got to make a difference. Um, some of that's from people who were think of themselves as maybe part of the quote resistance uh, to, to President Trump. Uh, but others just realize that, you know, there's a lot of political stuff going on, a lot of political uh, currents in the country and that they've not been as engaged. So I think people are looking to make a difference. Um, and I think some of them are nonprofits and some of them are business leaders. Frankly, I've heard this as much from business leaders as well. Is that something that um, brings more intentionality to your work, Garrett, more drive to your mission? Um, or are you able to do what you're doing almost irrespective of what's going on politically in terms of the impact that you're trying to have in neighborhoods? Yeah, I would say we're, we're you know, we're, uh, we're not political entities, but uh, we employ a lot of people that come out of gateway communities. We employ a lot of young people, students that have sort of, for whatever reason, maybe have kind of taken a little bit of a left turn in life and they end up working in restaurants and, you know, these sort of really stimulated environments. And um, we see our, you know, part of our mission is to take these young people and uh give them confidence, have them learn how to be graceful and elegant under in the intense pressure of a, of a Saturday night, uh, how to become articulate, um, appreciate each other, learn how to work as a team. You know, we think these are all uh, really sort of important things that we, if we can take a kid and sometimes, you know, we're, we're a career for someone, we can provide opportunity like that, but sometimes we only get them for a year or a couple of years, but if we can turn them into society and make them realize that they have, they can influence the the community around them, they have um, a value and they can they can make an impact. Well, that's something we, you know, we put a lot of time and energy into. That that must represent kind of a relative to others an outsized investment on your part. I haven't heard of many. Um, people in your industry mm -hmm. talk about being as committed and as purposeful towards that type of investment, which really could change somebody's life forever, change every every uh, opportunity that they have in front of them. It does. I've seen it. You know, I've seen it. And they may not be aware, but, you know, that when their time's up and they leave me and I remember that it was that kid that came in that was timid, that maybe didn't make eye contact, didn't carry their, themselves with, you know, great positive body language. Um, 
but now they have good, healthy relationships and they're confident um, and they have a little clarity about what their purpose might be. Um, it's, you know, I think the restaurant industry is an amazing breeding ground for that. What's that look like inside your company? How do you get that done? Who's the teacher? Who's the trainer? Uh, do you, are you the trainer? Or do you train the trainers? Or? No, no. I mean, we all teach each other. I mean, to be a great learner, you have to be a teacher. So it's a lot of peer participation. Um, but we have a director of education and staff development. That's our sort of HR component. And uh, she's been with me. She started as a hostess um, out of Boston University, was intent on, you know, a, a different career path. But she, uh, along with us, you know, she saw the opportunity to really make an impact in an innov innovative way in an, in, a, in an industry that can be, you know, sort of at, at its core, it wears people down. It, you know, it, it tears you down physically and mentally. It's a very stressful environment. And she wanted to make a difference in that regard. We bring a lot of outside people in. Uh, you know, one of Dan's fellow TED speakers, Amy Cuddy, who did the, the Power Pose TED Talk that's um, been viewed, you know, countless times. It's uh, She's part of our team. She's been involved in training of the last four restaurants. Um, so she'll come and, and, and give a talk about how, you know, positive body language really can impact your relations and your ability to to perform in stressful situations. And you're employing how many total now? 650. 650. So that's that's a lot of job creation right there. Mm. Um, Dan, how about you? The politics of the moment in your work? I think the work the work that I'm doing that I'm interested in uh, I think it I think it transcends the political climate. I know if you look at poverty's been at 12% of the population since the 70s now 13 and a half percent of the population there are 5 million more kids living in poverty today than there were in 1963 suicide rates up 35% in the last 20 years the adult illiteracy rate static at 14% over the last 30 years so over the course of multiple administrations you you just see this stasis on these social problems and so now we're in this era where there you know this call for shrinking government and i think well if you want to shrink the government, um, then the only way these problems are going to get solved is by liberating the nonprofit sector to to grow and to grow uh, dramatically. So I think it's uh, yeah, yeah I think those issues uh, transcend the political climate. Garrett, your leadership style in terms of what Dan is talking about, how do you set objectives that are bold and audacious but achievable so that they don't the objective is not so audacious that it demoralizes your team. Uh, you're, you've clearly got a team that will follow you where you go. Um, how do you describe your leadership style and your leadership philosophy? I really try to surround myself with people that inspire me and will inspire my teams. You know, I had the opportunity after the success of Eastern Standard to to team up with uh, Skip Bennett, who owns Island Creek Oysters, a, a very, very important pioneer in aquaculture um, down in Duxbury. And, you know, this is when the farm to table thing was happening and people were sort of, you know, uh, there just wasn't this sort of authenticity to it. And Skip and I joined forces and Open Island Creek Oyster Bar in Kenmore Square really is an attempt to kind of, you know, just um, recreate the oyster farm experience in, a, in an urban restaurant setting and let people know this is where their food com comes from. This is the person who's passionate enough to grow it. Um, and as an extension of that relationship, 
Uh, Skip created the Island Creek Oyster Foundation, which is, um, again, you know, kind of made it its mission to uh, activate people to, to understand where food comes from and the impact it can have on communities. Uh, he's funded several fish farms in Haiti. Uh, he has a, So it's not just local work. No, it's 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 an attempt to bring protein to under-proteined communities um, outside of the outside of the country. Um, in Tanzania, he started a shellfish farm. Um, so you know that's something that's part of how we try to you know we don't stand in front of the guest and give a little speech about how part of our efforts are directed in that you know, but it's part of the story that m- makes you know eating uh, makes eating in a place like Island Creek Oysters and participating in that, you know, um, in that process, part of what makes it compelling as a restaurant, we think. And I think underscores one of the kind of key themes that we often discuss here, which is that food and eating are connected to so many other issues that we care about. You know, they're connected intimately to our environment. They're connected to our carbon footprint. They're connected to the health of our of our bodies and our families. So food's at the center of all that. Absolutely. You cannot pull it out of any of those important social issues. And I'm assuming website for the Island Creek Oyster Foundation is just that. You can Google that and, and get a link to it the is. good work they're doing exactly. in Haiti and other places. Exactly. You'll see some amazing pictures. Fabulous. Yes. Oh, that's something new that I've learned today. I wasn't aware of it, and that sounds really exciting. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that. Um, as we um, have to wrap up, let me ask you both, what comes next? Both of you, it feels like... Uh, have got kind of magic in a bottle, lightning in a bottle in terms of the work that you're doing. It's been so successful. Um, where, where are you going to take it next? How's it going to expand? Are there new restaurants on the horizon? Um, what other kind of things are you going to try to um, help your employees with, Garrett? Well, in about an hour and a half, I'll be running drinks and food at Les Sablons, our new, our new restaurant in Harvard Square. It's, uh, we'll see where it takes. We don't, we, we, we're not really operating under any sort of grand plan. We'll see what opportunities come our way. We'll also see what the level of uh, talent that comes up through our organization is really motivated to do. That's a large part of what will drive us. I'm I'm not a big thinker. I need to include, you know, I need big thinkers um, as part of my organization. We'll, we'll see where we go from here. And Dan, I know you're always working on literally the next big thing <laughs> and it's always big um what can you tell us about it uh the next big thing is to head over to fenway park with my two daughters annalisa and sage who are patiently sitting outside here and go see the red sox play and i got a few big ideas in my head that i i think are too crazy to talk about you know you always go through this phase where you think it's a stupid idea don't tell anybody about it they'll lock you up but right now you know what i'm focused on is is changing the way people think about charity, specifically boards. We've launched something called the Boulder Board Training um, that was very successful here in Boston. We did it in November because after I give a speech to nonprofit conferences, I get tons of staff coming up and saying, how do I get my board to think this way? So they've been asking me that for years, so I knew I had to create something. So we created it and launched it in Boston, and next year we're doing Washington, D.C., New York, Austin, Saratoga, Manitowoc. Uh, we're doing we're doing seven of them next year, and uh, people can find out about that at boulderboard.com. Uh, thank you both for being here. Uh, you've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. I'm here with Garrett Harker, extraordinary restaurateur, civic leader uh, in our community in Boston, and increasingly now in New Hampshire and Vermont, and 
other places as well. Garrett, really a thrill to have you with us. What a pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks. And Dan Pallotta, um, I feel like lifelong mentor, guide, guru to many of us and uh, just a great partner in our work. Uh, if you haven't read Dan's book, Uncharitable, I don't know if it's a couple years old, but it, uh, it'll it never go out of date. It's just too, too important in our world. And of course, uh, Dan's TED Talk, which you're going to want to Google if you're one of the few people in the country who haven't already seen it. Dan, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Billy. Get closer to the problems that you care about. There's a famous photographer named Robert Kappa who once said, if your pictures are not good enough, you're not close enough. Well, in the social change space, getting close, bearing witness, going into the community, working with people directly, getting an understanding of what they need, that's often the precursor to really powerful transformational change. Don't just post, don't just preach, get your hands dirty and get involved. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.